the resurrected king is resurrecting us. He's raising us to a different kind of quality of life, a different vision, a different love, and a different hope. And I want you to know that today I'm coming to you to speak words of life from the Word of God over your life today. And before we turn our attention to God's Word, I just want to pray words of hope over each and every one of you that are watching and worshiping with us today. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, would fill our hearts and minds today. God, we need you, and we need you right now, in these days, in these moments, to speak your truth into our trouble and your hope into our despair. God, we, we give ourselves over to you again. We humbly listen to what you want to speak. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to bring a message of hope to you today because I continue to have conversation after conversation with people who are struggling immensely in this season. Not only has this pandemic left us relationally starved, mentally taxed, and emotionally hurting, but then we all still suffer the effects of the everyday fallen world we live in. There's stress at work. There's concern over the health of loved ones. And now there's this cloud of injustice that's hanging over our nation. As we absorb the horrible, tragic news of George Floyd's murder in the streets of Minneapolis. His death follows the death of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery in their senseless, tragic, unjust deaths. We're talking about a man, a black man, in handcuffs, lying on the street with a white police officer bearing his knee down on his neck while this man is saying, I can't breathe. Please, I can't breathe. And yet the officer persists and does not remove his knee. And moments later, the man is pronounced dead right there on the scene. And I can't tell you, as I was watching today, just the, the flood of emotions that sweeped over my heart and mind as, as I watched this senseless, tragic, unjust death. We remember the words of Martin Luther King when he said, injustice anywhere is a threat to injustice, to justice everywhere. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And these words remind us of the words of God spoken through the prophet Amos in chapter 5, verse 24, when he said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
That's why I want to speak words of hope over you today. And as we continue this Keep Moving series, sometimes it's hard to keep moving, and yet that's what God is calling us to do, to keep moving, to keep our eyes on Him, to keep looking up, to remember who He is and what He's done for us through Jesus Christ. And so I want to speak words of hope over you, and I want to point us to the cross of Christ and the hope that is found in his life, death, and resurrection. Listen to the words of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, as we're going to see three powerful reasons the cross gives us hope. We're going to see how the cross reconciles us back to God, how the cross gives us victory over all our enemies, and how the cross brings us freedom from our guilt. Listen to these words from Peter as he writes them for us. Verse 18 starts by saying this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The first powerful word of the hope of the cross that Peter tells us today is that we enjoy reconciliation with God through the cross of Christ. Verse 18 crystallizes the message of the gospel in one statement. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Why did Jesus die on that cross 2,000 years ago? outside of Jerusalem. It says it right here. Verse 18 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. The physical agony that Jesus experienced on the cross is unconscionable to our minds. And yet, it was the spiritual suffering that defined his death and brought him his greatest pain. You see, Jesus on the cross bore the infinite weight of our sin and thus bore the just consequences and punishment for our sin in bearing the infinite weight of the wrath of God. 
It was our sins that he bore on the cross. Peter has already spoken about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, when he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to, for righteousness. With his wounds, we are healed. This is why Jesus died for us. He bore our punishment. And Peter is clear to tell us that his suffering was unjust. It was the righteous. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned, and yet he bore our sin so that though he was righteous and we are unrighteous, he might take our unrighteousness and give us his righteousness. In other words, because Jesus took our sin through faith in his sacrifice on the cross, now we can have his righteousness, we can have a right standing before God, that now when God looks at us, he sees the perfect record of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. And Peter goes on and he says, hey, the ultimate purpose in the death of Christ is that God is bringing us back to himself. So many times we think that the ultimate gift of our salvation is having our sins forgiven. And yes, that is true. We should be so thankful that our sins are forgiven in the sight of God. Or we focus on that eternal, imperishable inheritance that Peter spoke of in chapter one. And we can't wait to spend eternity in heaven and be reunited with our loved ones and experience the life that we've always dreamed of. And yet, as great as those things are, what makes the gospel the greatest news is that now we have been brought back into a relationship with the one who made us in the very first place. Can you believe there today, as you hear this message, that God desires for you to be welcomed into his presence as his son and, or his daughter? Can you believe today that God opens his arms and wants you in his presence just to be his friend? This is the greatest news of the gospel. Reconciliation with God satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. I mean, after all, in these days, we are experiencing the consequences of, of relational separation. And as much as we ache and long to be back together, I can't wait to be back with you, Redemption Hill, face to face. And friends watching across Medford and Greater Boston, face to face. And yet this relational ache that we feel points us to the greater longing of our souls that will not rest until we have been reconciled back into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so I hope today that you have experienced this reconciliation with God. If, if you haven't, then you should call on God's name today and ask him to forgive you of, our, of your sin, to, to receive the righteousness of Christ as he bore your sin on the cross. But not only does the, the, the sacrifice of Christ bring reconciliation between us and God, but 
when we receive reconciliation with God, it is that reconciliation that enables us to truly be reconciled to one another. That's what I love about the message of the gospel is, is that the gospel unites us not just to God, but to one another so that now we can not only love God, but we can love one another as God has called us to. And anything that threatens our love for one another, anything that, 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 that poses injustice to one another should not only break our hearts, but it should remind us that it breaks the heart of God. I love being a part of a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And it's a picture. Our church is a picture of what heaven looks like. That's why there's no room for this kind of injustice that we've seen this past week with the death of George Floyd. The cross of Christ speaks hope to us in that it reconciles us back to God and consequently reconciles us now with one another. But then number two, as Peter goes on, he's going to show us that the hope of the cross brings us victory over our enemies. Look back at verses 19 and 20 with me. This is what Peter writes. He says, Jesus was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, let me just encourage you, wherever you're listening from, to strap on your theological seatbelts because what we have just read is what some scholars call the most difficult passage in the New Testament to understand. And there are three questions we have to ask when we're seeking to understand these words. Number one, who are these spirits that he refers to? Then, what did Christ preach and when did he preach it? And there are three major views. The first view says that, that Christ preached to unbelievers in Noah's day the message of salvation through Noah, but because they rejected it, they suffered just judgment. A second view, similar but not the same, says that Jesus preached through Noah in Noah's day to those unbelievers, but it, it, sorry, it, it doesn't say that he preached in Noah's day. It says that he preached the, the, the gospel to the unbelievers in Noah's day after his resurrection. That's view number two. So, so in other words, what, what it says is that Christ, after his resurrection, went and offered a second chance of salvation to the believers who had rejected the message of salvation in Noah's day. But we can safely reject that view because it clearly contradicts the rest of Scripture. The third view, and the most persuasive view, says that these spirits in prison refer to fallen angels that are disobedient and described in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And Jesus, after his resurrection, went and preached not a message of salvation, but an announcement of his victory 
to these fallen angels who have opposed him and opposed mankind. And I love this view because of several reasons. Uh, number one, we, we see this language where it says in which uh, it, it follows the, the, the phrase that Christ was made alive in the spirit. So this seems to indicate the timing is not during Noah's day, but it's after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then when it talks about the, the word spirits in the New Testament, this doesn't refer to people, but fallen angels. And the word prison never refers to, to people after death, but it refers to spirits, as we would see in 2 Peter chapter 2. Not only that, but the progression of Jesus' death and resurrection, moving to his ascension in verse 22, also fits the flow of this interpretation. But finally, and perhaps most persuasively for me, this fits the context of victory that Peter is talking about, both in this passage, but also that the biblical writers talk about in the larger scheme of the Bible. Paul says it like this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He says that Jesus set aside the record of, of debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. And in that moment on the cross, it says in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has the victory over all of his greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death. And this is the announcement of victory that Peter, I believe, is referring to here in chapter 3. But Peter is writing this. Remember, he's writing to people to encourage them in their situation in life, in their moments of suffering. And so he's pointing to the, the flood narrative of Noah to say, hey, God rescued people and saved people in a time of suffering. He brought them through. And, and, and not only that, but Christ has the ultimate victory. And now if you are in Christ, you share in his victory as well. And so listen, this is such great news, words of hope that we need to hear today, that, that injustice and hate and racism and viruses, they do not have the last word. Jesus has the ultimate victory over all of his enemies, and we share in that victory, that victorious hope through him. The cross speaks hope to us today in that it brings reconciliation with God. It shows us our victory over our enemies. And then number three, it shows us that we can experience freedom from our guilt. Verses 21 and 22 show us this. As Peter writes, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. With this image of life in the midst of death in mind, Peter sees a connection to 
the experience of Christian baptism. In baptism, a believer in Christ is going under the water, symbolizing his death with Christ, and then being raised out of the water to symbolize this victory over death and the new life that Jesus has given him. And so when Peter says in verse 21 that baptism corresponds to this, it now saves you. We kind of immediately have to hit the brakes and say, wait, wait, hold on a minute, Peter. I didn't think baptism saves anyone, but it's an expression of an inward salvation that, they, that someone has already experienced. And that's exactly what, what Peter is saying. He's not saying that the, the act of physical baptism saves anyone because he says it right here, that, that it doesn't save as a removal of dirt from the body. In other words, the physical act of water going over someone's body doesn't save them. But what, what shows salvation is our faith in God that now we're saying, because I have trusted in Christ, I now have a conscience that is clean before God because, again, God has given me the perfect record of Jesus Christ. You and I have both experienced what it's like to have a guilty conscience. Our conscience is our moral compass on the inside. It's that inner judge that helps us differentiate right from wrong. And our conscience points out when, when we're not doing right. And, and so we've had these feelings of saying, hey, you've crossed the line. You deserve to be punished for that. You haven't done enough in your life. God would never accept you. But now because of the, the gospel, what we've just heard about the sacrifice of Christ, suffering for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, now we can say not only to God, God, you look at me through the lens of the death of Christ and his righteousness. But now we can be freed from our guilt because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus died to remove the guilt from our minds and our hearts because we have been forgiven. This is the great news of the gospel. And so baptism shows that reality that we have died to our old way of life. We have been raised to a new free life in Christ that we don't have to be weighed down by the guilt that can often plague us as we journey through life. And verse 22 shows us how confident we can be that this is reality because Jesus now sits at the right hand of God and he has authority over all powers and angels and principalities. So this is, this is pointing us saying, hey, we can have confidence that this victory is true, that the work of Christ in his death and resurrection is sure and firm for us today. I hope you are encouraged by this message of hope as we look to the cross of Christ. The cross is the central symbol of our faith. And so maybe today, in light of this good news of the cross of Jesus Christ, some of you are saying, you know what, I need to take a step in my spiritual journey. 
Maybe someone is saying, I need to take the step of believing in Christ and experiencing this, this reconciliation with God that Tanner's talking about and this victory over my enemies, even the enemy of death and a freedom from a, a guilty conscience. I want that in my life. If that's you today, if God is saying, hey, that's you, you need this, you need me in my life. I want you to text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. And listen, that number on the screen today is my cell number. I want my inbox, my, my messages just to blow up with people that are saying, hey, I want to follow Jesus Christ. But maybe for others of you, you have made that decision to follow Jesus, but you're ready to follow him in baptism to outwardly declare the inward reality of what Jesus has done for you. If that's you, also text the word Jesus to my number so that I can help you take that step. But then perhaps some of you are just saying, you know what, Pastor Tanner, I'm with you. Those emotions that you described, I've been feeling them this week. Or maybe there's some other prayer need. Listen, if you need prayer in any way, I also want you to text the word Jesus to the number on the screen and I'm gonna follow up with you this week. Listen, we're gonna to stick together in these difficult times. We're gonna speak words of hope to one another. We're gonna point one another to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in him that we keep moving forward to live the lives that God has called us to live. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in the midst of our pain and our hopelessness, God, you speak hope. You remind us of the cross of Christ and what Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, whatever it is that you are leading us to today, whatever next step it is, even if it's just to say, God, thank you for what you've done in the cross of Christ. Lord, we, we take that step today by faith. Help us to take that step. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.